Father, we just come to you today, and as we again come to the book of Genesis, and we study this, uh, the life of this patriarch, uh, Jacob, uh, today, Lord, we'll see that, uh, him face his greatest danger, the greatest danger to the nation of Israel, and it's not his uncle Laban, it's not uh, his brother Esau, it's not the uh, Canaanite savages in the land, Lord, uh, it's, the, it's the danger of assimilation. Father, a danger that we all face uh, if we're not careful. Lord, you haven't called us to become part of the culture uh, we're in. You've called us to change the culture to where it's uh, like the culture of the kingdom of God. And Lord, there's a danger, just as we see this danger that Jacob faced, Lord, it's a danger we all face, and it's a very serious danger, uh, a danger that can cause us to lose uh, our our families uh, to the world and the devil and uh, Lord so it's a danger uh, a a battle we want to win and uh, a danger that that we want to have victory over so I just ask today that you show us these uh, truths in here and and Lord that you um, teach us uh, how we're to live in this pagan culture in which we live now that's the lesson here today and I just ask that you bless that lesson Lord and that we're all inspired to to draw closer to you, to live closer to you, to, to turn from this world and not love this world, but love the things of the kingdom of God. And Lord, most of all, to love our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what you've called us to do as, as believers. That's our number one priority in life, Lord. And I don't think there's many of us in here that make that our number one priority. And when we don't, Lord, we all face that danger of assimilation. So I just ask today, Lord, that, again, that you bless this study, you bless it by the power of your Holy Spirit, ask it in Christ's name, amen. Fifteen years ago when we moved here uh, from Mandeville, we were looking for a house and we were out in the country. We were driving around and I got lost. We were out around Karen Crow and and I got lost and I did what no man has ever done before. I stopped to ask for directions and there was these couple of Cajun guys in, in their driveway talking and I asked these these men, if they could help me find this particular street, and they began to talk, and they began to point, and they began to, but they were speaking in this Cajun English. This was something I'd never heard before in my life, and uh, so when they finished giving me directions, I rolled up up the window, and I turned to Brenda, and I said, did you understand what they said? And she said, I didn't understand a word of it. Well, I've been here 15 years now, and I do understand Cajun English. I can understand David, even David Square here. Uh, pretty good. Uh, I've learned to eat crawfish and fried alligator, and every once in a while I listen, listen to Cajun music, even though every song in Cajun music to me sounds exactly the same. I almost want to sing one of them for you, but I'll, I'll spare you that. But, but uh, even though I've been immersed in this culture, I haven't been assimilated into this culture. To do that, to be assimilated into the Cajun culture would mean that when I ate crawfish, I would suck the heads, and I'm not going to do that. Uh, It would mean that I would have to speak Cajun English. I can understand it, but I'm not going to speak it. Uh, It would mean that I would ride in Mardi Gras parades, and and I would listen to Cajun, God forbid, I would listen to Cajun music all the time. Uh, And to truly be assimilated into this culture, I would need to be a Roman Catholic because most of the people in this culture are 
Roman Catholic. So, so here I am in Lafayette, and we own a home here. I pay taxes here. I vote here. So you could say I'm a resident of Acadiana, of this Cajun land, but I have not been assimilated into the culture. And I, don't, and I am certain that God does not want me to be assimilated into this culture. I am certain that God doesn't want me to be assimilated into the American culture. And in today's lesson, we're going to learn just why God doesn't want us assimilated into the culture and, and the dangers of being assimilated in the culture as we look at this story where Jacob and his family and the nation of Israel almost become assimilated into the Canaanite culture. And, and somebody might say at this point, well, so what? So what? Well, if they had become Canaanites, there would be no Israel, there would be no Jewish Messiah, and there would be no reason for us to be here today because we wouldn't be saved. And so it was a big so what. Uh, well, let's go back to where we left off last time before we get into this, this study where we look at these dangers that, that Israel faced at this point. Uh, if you remember last time, Jacob had finally encountered his brother Esau, and it went so much better than, than Jacob ever thought it was going to go. Uh, he actually thought Esau was coming to kill him, and they embraced, and, and uh, Esau went back to Seir, and he told Jacob, hey, I want you to follow me, and come on back, and I want you to live there with us. But Jacob still didn't really trust God, and so he still didn't really trust his brother. And so what he did, he settled there in Sukkot, on the other side of the Jordan, the east side of the Jordan River. And uh, he built a home there, and he built barns there, and he stayed there for about five years. And when he felt it was safe, he was finally going to obey the Lord and he was going to go over into the promised land. So he goes over into the promised land and he, and, he, and he lands in Shechem, just across the Jordan. And there he buys a plot of land from the king, Hamar, for 100 pieces of silver. And uh, he builds a home there and he settles down. Now that's where we, when we come to chapter 34, several years have passed. His sons are growing up now. They're in their late 20s, the oldest sons. Uh, Dinah, his daughter, is, is now a teenager, and uh, she's about to get the whole family in a lot of trouble. And that's where we want to pick up as we come to chapter 34, uh, and let's look beginning in verse number 1. It says, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. So here is Israel. I'm talking about the nation. It's an infant nation at this point, and it's already faced two potentially fatal enemies. One was uh, old Uncle Laban. If it had been up to Uncle Laban, he would have brought them back to Haran, and they would have settled in Haran, and they would have never made it to the promised land. But God stopped him. He gave him that dream. Then they had faced Esau, and I have no doubt, I've said it before, that Esau was coming to destroy Jacob and his family and, 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 and all of his servants, and he was going to wipe them out, and God touched his heart and changed his heart, and he didn't do that. But, but now, uh, as we begin chapter 34, Israel faces its greatest danger to date, and uh, 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 a much greater danger than, than Laban or Esau. Uh, it's not the giants in the land, although there were giants in the land. It's not the wild beast in the land, and there were lots of wild beasts in the land. It's not the Canaanite tribes. The danger that they face, this grave danger, is that they will be unwittingly assimilated 
into the Canaanite culture. And if that were to happen, what would happen to the nation? They would cease to be a nation, uh, and, and uh, they wouldn't no longer be the distinct people of God. Now, they, they, it's really hard to call them, and you're going to see as we look at this study today, call them the people of God, but they were God's people. Even at this point, they were the apple of God's eyes. Now, here's how this assimilation almost happened. Looking at verse number one, Dinah goes into town, and, and you can understand this. She's got a bunch of brothers. Uh, there's no, we're not sure. She might even have some sisters at this point, but they would have been younger sisters. So she really didn't have any peers to associate with other than her brothers. And so she met these girls in Shechem. Uh, there they were in Shechem. And she wanted to hang out with those girls. She wanted to be in the in crowd. I mean, we can all relate to that. Uh, most of us want to be in the in crowd. And she wanted to be in the in crowd. And, and so she pleaded with her father, Jacob, said, Look, Dad, it's not going to hurt anything for me to go into town and make friends with these Shechemites and uh, uh, just, you know, do what little teenage girls do. And, and uh at some point, she was in town, she was in Shechem, and she saw Shechem, the, the son of Hamar. The, the town was named after him. He was the prince of Shechem, and I am certain he was a very handsome prince, and I'm certain she was a very beautiful woman. And he saw her, and she saw him, and it was love at first sight. Now, how does that relate to, to us? One of the first steps in being assimilated into a culture is to make your friends the people of that culture, to begin to make your best friends the inhabitants of that culture. There have been many young people who were brought up in Christian homes who have been assimilated into this pagan culture because their parents let them hang out with whoever they wanted to hang out, whenever they wanted to hang out with them, wherever they wanted to hang out with them. And, and when you turn your children over to the pagan children of this world, more than likely they're going to be assimilated into this culture. Not only do we do that as Americans, we turn our children, for the most part, over to the educational system of this world. Now, we have teachers in here that uh, my son's a teacher, my daughter-in-law's a teacher. Uh, we have other teachers in here. Teachers can be fine people. I'm not picking on teachers here. But for the most part, our educational system has, out of respect to dogs, I won't say gone to the dogs, but our educational system has, has is, is being... Uh, uh, secularized and uh, turned into a, a propaganda machine for ungodliness as we speak. And so when we turn our children over to that system, we can expect them to be assimilated into this pagan culture. I saw a thing the other day where, where 95% of the college professors in the United States of America are democratic socialists. They profess to be democratic socialists, godless socialists. So if your kids go off to college and, and they haven't been grounded in the Word of God, don't be surprised if they come back as godless socialists. 
because they're going to get assimilated into the culture. All their friends are going to be godless socialists. They're going to be taught godless socialism, and they're going to be assimilated into that culture. So, so what do we do? I mean, we want our kids to have friends, and we don't want to be Christian snobs, and we want our kids educated, so what do we do? Well, I'll tell you the first thing you do as parents, you make doggone sure that before your kids go out into the culture that they've been educated by you in the things of God. I mean, bring them to church and bring them to Sunday school, that's a good thing, but that's not going to do it. You're going to have to spend some time with your kids, and you're going to have to spend a lot of time with your kids in the Word of God. You're going to have to show your kids that you're religion is real, that Jesus Christ is real to you, so that he will be real to them. And then maybe they can go off to these colleges and they won't be assimilated into into the culture. And and I don't know where you go at this point because my son taught at a Christian school and I don't know if it was any better than the public school he's teaching at now. And so I don't know where you, you, you... See, the responsibility comes back on us. That's really where it should be, to educate our kids in the things of the Lord. And then when they go study math and they study biology and all those things, which are great things for them to study, and these professors and these teachers are trying to indoctrinate them in some godless socialism, your kids are going to be inoculated to it and they're going to be able to, 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 to withstand that and not be assimilated to the culture. And, and again, we want our kids to have friends. So what do we do with, with, with that situation? Well, I'll tell you what I did when, when my boys were growing up. I, let, I wouldn't let my boys go off with their pagan friends and be assimilated into their pagan culture. I would let, but I would let their pagan friends come to our house and be assimilated into our culture. I mean, that, that worked, I think that worked well. And so you can protect your children that way. So, so uh, but here's Jacob. And Jacob is, is really, I mean, he's a bad parent. I mean, he is the epitome of a bad parent. And uh, uh, I don't even think he, I don't think he had much love in him. Because I don't think if he loved his kids, he would have just let his kids go to pot like he did. But anyway, he lets her go into town, and something really bad happens. Look at verse number two. And when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the, the Hivite prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her, and he violated her. Verse number two. Now, I don't think he raped her. I don't think the context here is that this was rape at all. I think when he violated her, it meant that he had sexual relationships with her outside of marriage, and that was immoral. I mean, by the context, I, I, you know, I believe the, sexual, the sex they had was consensual, uh, uh, but Shechem loved her, and he wants to do the right thing. Look at verse number 3. In verse number 3, it says, his soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, not just that's important because it wasn't just his body that was attracted to Dinah. His soul was attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the young woman, and he spoke lovely words to her. He spoke kindly to her. He told her, I love you. I want to live the rest of my life with you. I want to marry you. And they had sexual relationship, and he spoke those words to him. But Shechem spoke to his father, and uh, Hamar, and he said, get me this woman as my wife. And so I don't know, you can't be sure at this point if she got pregnant. I suspect maybe she did. And so he's going to marry her. And uh, she comes home and she tells her dad, Jacob. And and again, Jacob is silent all these things. It's just amazing to me that he let her do it. And then she comes back and he's silent. But uh, she comes home and she tells Jacob, hey, look, I've had relationships with Shechem. 
but uh, he wants he wants to to marry me. So so every everything right here is is really good. And 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 look at verse number five. Now the sons aren't going to be so happy about it. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah his daughter, but he didn't say anything. Now his sons went with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. He wasn't going to tell them anything. But here's what happens. Then Hamar, here's the king of Shechem, he comes marching out to, to Jacob's home, uh, probably with an entourage, and, and the sons see him coming, and he went out to speak to Jacob, and the sons of Jacob came in from the field, and they, let me rephrase that a little bit, they overheard what Hamar said. They overheard Hamar said, saying that I, we want Shechem to marry Dinah, uh, even though they've had sexual relationships, maybe she's pregnant, uh, he wants to marry her, and the men were grieved, and they were, the sons of Jacob were grieved, and they were very angry because he had done, had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. In that ancient culture, in just about every ancient culture. The worst thing you could do to your peer or to your antagonist was to lie with their women. Because that just didn't, they could care less about the women being dishonored, but that dishonored the family, the male family of that woman whom you lied with. And that showed that you had power over your, over over the other person's women. Remember when David was run out of Jerusalem by his son Absalom? You remember the first thing that Absalom did? He went and got the concubines of David and had sexual relationships with them in order to humiliate David and to show how much power he had over David. So here are these sons, and they're not really upset about Dinah being pregnant or being defiled. That's not, they're not worried about her honor. They're worried about their own honor. But Hamar spoke to them in verse number 8. It saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her uh, to him as a wife. In other words, they made a mistake, but he wants to make it right. He wants to marry your daughter, uh, and uh, uh, he, he, he's, he's uh, going to do the right thing. Now, here's where it gets bad, and this is where we're going to pick up next. Hamar's going to make a proposal to Jacob, a proposal that will mean the end of Israel. He's going to make a proposal that they become one culture, that they unify together and become one people with one language and uh, every, one economy, and everybody is, is assimilated into one culture, and we're all one big happy group of people. Now, that on the surface sounds pretty good. I mean, when you hear people talking about a global government, a global one order, where all the people in the world, there aren't any borders, and everybody becomes one people, and we all treat each other good, and we live happily ever after. You've been hearing that lately a lot? You certainly have been hearing. And that's why they hate Donald Trump so much and they hate uh, the guy in Britain Johnson so much because they're against this one world order. Now, 
The Bible teaches that unity is a good thing. Unity is a good thing. We as a church should be unified. But unity is a good thing only if it's based upon righteousness and truth. To be unified in righteousness is a good thing. To be unified in truth is a good thing. Where it all goes bad is when you're unified in ungodliness and you're unified in lies and you're unified in unrighteousness. When, you, when you're doing that, who wants to have unity with that? Well, most of the world wants unity in that. But, but that is anti-Christ. It's against God. It puts God out of the picture, and, and it's exactly what took place at the Tower of Babel, and it's exactly what's taking place all over the world right now. And eventually, I, I don't know how much longer it's gonna, we're going to be able to hold that tide back but you just get a, let a certain group of people get into power, and you're going to see everything turn to this one world government. We are right on the verge of the Antichrist taking power over this world for the sake of unity, but not unity in righteousness and truth, unity in evil, unity in, in ungodliness. That's what the, the, they want to unify it. And it's taking place in the church right now, too. I mean, people are saying we need to unify as a church. We need to all be one church. Uh, recently, I'm sure you've read the, the uh, Methodist church this spring is going to split into two denominations, one very conservative denomination that believes the, in the Word of God and one very liberal denomination that believes that they should be culturally relevant. And, other, and, and I heard one of the pastors here in town, one of the Methodist pastors here in town saying, that we shouldn't be dividing over these trivial matters, that, that, that the church should be culturally relevant. For the church to be culturally relevant, you understand what has to happen. The church has, it, it doesn't conquer the world and change the world. The church has to assimilate into the pagan ideas of this world. And that's what the liberal ring... Uh, wing of the Methodist church is doing, and that's why the conservative wing is splitting away from that, and I don't blame them. Good for them. If you ask me what's happening, the tares are being separated from the wheat in a case like that. And so, so anyway, uh, he proposes this plan for them to become one. Uh, this is an evil people. i got to tell you, Jacob's sons and Jacob might be more evil than they are, actually. But they're, 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 this whole thing of assimilation is going to, who's behind this, you think? The devil. The devil wants them all assimilated together against God. That's what he wants. And, and so he uses Hamar to devise his plan, and we can pick up and we can read this plan beginning in verse, I'm sorry, in verse number 9. He says, and he says, please give her, in verse number, he says, please give her to him as a wife and make marriages with us Give us your daughters to us, and take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us, and the, and the land shall be uh, before you. Dwell and trade in it, and acquire uh, possessions for yourselves in it. And then Shechem adds to this. She says, says to her father and to her brothers, Look, let me find favor in your eyes. Let me have uh, Dinah for my wife. And whatever you say to me, I will give to you. Ask me so much dowry for so ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give it according to whatever you ask me. As much as I have, I will give you 
but give me the young woman as my wife. Now, he loves Dinah. There is no doubt he loves Dinah. And this proposition that Hamar and Shechem make to Jacob and his sons seems to be a win-win situation for everybody. I mean, Dinah and Shechem get married, and they live happily ever after. Uh, the sons get this giant diary, and they become even more wealthy than they are. They join together into this one big, happy, prosperous uh, economy. Uh, they, they have intermarriage. They become one people. They become one language. And I think Jacob's listening to this, and he says, this is a good thing. I think we'll do this. And because you don't hear him pray to God, you don't hear him make any objections. And if it were up to Jacob at this point, what would have happened to Israel? They would have been assimilated into another city-state, another nation, and they would have been wiped out. There would be no Israel anymore. You think God's going to let that happen? No, God was not about to let that happen. What he's going to do, he's going to allow, uh, he's going to use the pride and anger of Jacob's sons their depravity, he's actually going to use their depravity to stop this assimilation. Now, there's a lesson here today for all of us. If, if you're in this world and you're a child of God, God is not going to let you assimilate into the culture in which you live. You, you just bank on that. You're not going to be, and you can, you know, you might be in the in crowd, but you're not, God's not going to let you be assimilated in the, into the pagan in crowd if you're a child of God. He's not going to let it happen. He's not going to let you assimilate into the pagan aspects of your job. He's not going to let it happen. And so I see believers all the time, and they, and they go to work, and, they, and, and they, they, they just have all of these things come against them in their job, and they're pushed out of this in crowd in the job, even though they're outperforming everybody and God's blessing what they're doing, they're, they're pushed away, because, and, and, and they say, man, well, this isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? When they really need to stop and think about it, it very well might be God keeping you from being in that in crowd so you're not assimilated into their pagan ways. If you're in a school and you're not in the in crowd, if you're in a, you're in a job and you're not in the in crowd, if you're a child of God, God's not going to let you be in the end credit. Now, he's not going to violate your choice. If, you, if you're willing to give up everything that's of value to you in order to be in the end crowd, he'll let you do that. But, but, but if you're wondering why in the world am I being persecuted at my job? Why in the world am I being uh, persecuted uh, at school? Why in the world am I being persecuted in my godless family? Why is all this persecution taking place? Because God is separating you. He doesn't want you assimilated into that group that you're forced to hang out with because of the state of life you're in. And so, so don't be surprised if you never make it into the in crowd at your job. You never make it into the in crowd at your school. God's not going to let you. He's going to stop it. And he might use evil things to stop it. Uh, and that's what's going to happen here. Look at verse number 13. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamar his father and spoke, deceitfully. Now, they've got a plan, an evil plan. Not because they loved the Lord and they didn't want to be assimilated into the society, but because their honor had been uh, 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 trampled on 
They were wanting revenge. And so they devised this very wicked plan to exact destruction and pain on these people of Shechem. But they, the sons of Jacob answered Shechem, and Hamar, his father, had spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah, their, because he had defiled Dinah, Dinah their sister. So, so again, it's all not about Dinah. It's about their honor. And they said to them, now watch what they say, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to, to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. In other words, if we only hang out with circumcised people, we only are going to be one with circumcised people. Now, what does circumcision mean to them at this point? It being absolutely nothing. It was a badge of honor for them that separated them from other people. That's all it was. I mean, they could care less. They didn't say to these people, look, we can only hang out with people who love the Lord. That had nothing to do with it. We're only going to hang out with people or, do, or become one with one people who are circumcised like we're circumcised. See, early on, circumcision had, uh, had, had an erroneous meaning to the Israelites. I mean, it did most of their history. It became a badge of honor, not, not a badge of something that had taken place in their heart. That's what it, what it was supposed to mean. It was supposed to mean that they were people of faith that they had a relationship with God. But that didn't mean that to them. I mean, but so they just say to these guys, we don't care what your relationship with the Lord is, but if you'll get circumcised, we'll be one with you. And they, they, they weren't going to be one with them anyway, but that, that's what they said. In verse number 35, but on this condition, we will consent to you if you will become as we are, if every male of, of you is circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and we will take our daughters to us and we will dwell with you, and we will become one big happy group of people. But if you will not heed us and become circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. They knew they were holding the ace in the hole, that Shechem, who was the prince of, of Shechem, uh, wanted Dinah for his wife, and so uh, they're saying, hey, if you want Dinah, you're going to have to get circumcised. And their words pleased Hamar and Shechem. Hamar's son. So the young man did not delay to do the thing uh, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Watch this. He, and this is God speaking about Shechem. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. In God's eyes, he was more honorable than all the people in his land. And I believe in God's eyes, he was more honorable than all the sons of Jacob. He was an honorable man in God's eyes. And so, so uh, 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 he agrees to, to, to be uh, circumcised. He agrees to give this dowry. He agrees to, to become one with these people in order to, uh, to marry Dinah. You know, that makes this, to me, one of the most tragic love stories of all time. Much more tragic uh, than Romeo and Juliet, because Romeo and Juliet is fiction. This is a true story. Here is a man who God calls honorable, he's so, he, and he's so in love with, with Dinah that he's willing to endure the pain of circumcision as a grown man, and he's willing to give this diary. He's willing to become one with the Israelites in order to, to, uh, to, to marry Dinah. And it's really tragic, because not only is he going to be circumcised, it's going to cost him his life. 
He loves this woman so much, and it's going to cost him his life. Look at verse number 20. And Hamar and Shechem, uh, his sons, came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of their city, saying, Look, man, we've got, I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news. Let me give you the good news first. These men of Israel are at peace with us, and we want to keep it that way. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for indeed the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to be to us as wives, and let us give them our daughters as their wives. Now the bad news. Only on this condition will the man consent to dwell with us, to be one people, if every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. At this point, I'm sure one of the people that were out there, all the men of Shechem were gathered, and I'm sure one of them raised their hand and said, what's circumcision? He said, well, let me tell you. You take a knife, and you cut off part of your male parts. That's, and, and, and he explained what part you cut off. And I'm sure a lot of the guys looked at each other and said, say what? Do what? You expect us to do that? Uh, I tell you, if it were me, I would have moved somewhere else. Shechem wasn't that nice of a place that I would have done that to myself. I mean, I, I am circumcised, but I'm as a baby, not as a grown man. Uh, I wouldn't have done it. And, and so he's got to give them some more good news. So he's giving them the good news, now the bad news, now he gives them some more good news. Will not their, now think about it, guys. Yeah, we've got to get circumcised, but will not their livestock, their property, and every animal theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, uh, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city, they respected Hamar, they respected Shaman, so they heeded Hamar and Shechem and his son, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. You know, it's amazing what people will do to make a buck. I mean, I think most of these men are thinking, you know, they, they, Jacob and his sons are really rich, and we're going to share in their, in their riches. And so they were willing to, 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 uh, to take on this project of being circumcised because of the, of, of the prosperity it would bring to their, their economy. And uh, uh, so they agree. And here's what the sons of Israel are planning at this point. They're planning for these men to be in great, great pain where they're in a position where they can't defend themselves and then they're going to come upon them and they're going to slaughter them. They're going to massacre all the men of Shechem. Who's going to do this? And you would expect maybe the Shechemites to do that to the Israelites. But these are 11 of the 12 sons who will become the nation of Israel. And here's Jacob, and he's sitting back, and he's really allowing all of this to happen. Obviously, he hasn't really done a good job of raising his sons. We see that already. And so, so here's this wicked plan, and, 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 and it's being perpetuated uh, by the 11 sons of Israel, the ones who will make up the nation of Israel. Now, what does that tell us? 
that tells us that this plan that God has for the nation of Israel is a plan of election and grace. It is not based upon merit at all. If it were based upon merit, at, uh, upon their goodness and their morality, hey, the plan would be over right now, but it's not. And then verse number 25, he says, Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain. Now you can't imagine how much pain they were in, but they were in enough pain they couldn't protect themselves. That two of the sons of Jacob, and I, I, Simeon and Levi, they led this massacre. They weren't the only ones involved. You can be sure of that. Their servants were there with them. Uh, Dinah's brothers, uh, they took a sword, and they came boldly upon the city, and they killed all the males. And they killed Hamar and Shechem. And I, I, I don't believe Shechem was living with Dinah at this point, but Dinah was living at Shechem's palace. And, and uh, I mean, imagine what she had to think. And they killed Hamar and Shechem, uh, his son, with the edge of the sword, and they took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city. They didn't just kill these men. They, they, they got more motives than that. They're going to they're gonna gather up some riches here, too. They're going to gather up a whole group of slaves for themselves. And so the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field, and all of their wealth, and their little ones and their wives, and they took them captive. Who's dishonorable here? Shechem? Man, the sons of Israel are, are the most dishonorable men you could possibly uh, witness here. All their little ones and their wives they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the house. I mean, this is a massacre. It's a massacre that they justified by the fact that their sister had been defiled uh, by Shechem. But these people are no better than barbarians. I mean, that's what they are. They were barbarians. And I tell you what, they gave Israel a black eye that Israel never got over. I, honestly, I, it just shows you this is the heart of Israel, not just now. This is the heart of Israel throughout their history. Go back, and I'm not going to do it today, but go back and read Stephen's speech about uh, the, nation, the history of the nation of Israel, and it's all bad. I mean, their whole history was bad. They were hard-hearted, cold-hearted people. But God loved them anyway, and God blessed them anyway. Thank goodness for that. Because sometimes I'm cold-hearted and hard-hearted, and God blesses me anyway. And so are you, and God blesses you anyway. Because, not because of our merits, but because of our election, our calling, and His grace. That's why. Now, how does Jacob respond to all of this? I want you to see how he responds. He doesn't, he doesn't spank his sons. They were a little big to spank. He doesn't ground them for a month. Hey, you guys are grounded for a month. You can't use the chariots. You, you, you stay in the tent, you're going to stay there all month. No television. We don't have television, but you can't watch it anyway. You're grounded. He doesn't scold them. He, he doesn't do anything to them. All he's worried about is himself. Listen to these first-person pronouns. And, and listen to his response and listen to these first-person pronouns he uses right here. He says, Then Jacob said to Sibian and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants 
of this land among the Canaanites and the Parasites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me, and I shall be destroyed. And now here's, he talks about his household, my, my household, but he just, so, so in case you hadn't got it, he says, and I, I mean, I'm the one who's going to be destroyed in all this. I'm the one who's going to pay the price. Woe is me. That's Jacob's response. Woe is me. I am now hated by the inhabitants of this land. Woe is me. I shall be destroyed. I only have a small army, and they're going to gather together a large army, and they're going to destroy me. Woe is me. Not only that, your mom and your and probably all of y'all, y'all are going to be destroyed together with me, and, and uh, woe is me. See, his, his response was not based upon his concern for the morality of his sons or the morality of his daughter, his response was based upon what was going to happen to him. That's really all Jacob ever cared about. As Israel, he cared about other things. He cared about God, and he's going to grow in that relationship some over time. But, but for most of his life, all Jacob did was care about himself. That's all he did. And, and, and he did nothing. Uh, to, to, to punish his sons. And listen to their response right here. Listen to what they say. But they said, shut up, old man, basically. Should, should he tr have treated our sister like a harlot? He dishonored our sister, and he dishonored us, and we don't care what you think or what's going to happen to you. We weren't going to let that happen and we would do it all over again if we had a chance to do it all over again. Now, here's what I want you to see. This chapter 34 takes place years, years after Bethel, 30 or 40 years after Bethel, years after uh, Bethel where, where Jacob saw the, the, the ladder coming down from heaven and he heard the voice of God. I mean, you think it would have just changed him forever. It happened years after Peniel where he wrestled with God and saw the very face of God. Uh, it happened years after he was at Mahanaim and he saw the camp of the angels of God. And here's this little nation of Israel and it's as godless or more godless than the nation of Shechem, than these Canaanites. In fact, at least about Shechem, you could, the Lord could say he was an honorable man, more honorable than anybody around. But he couldn't say that about Jacob. And he couldn't say that about Jacob's sons. I mean, why? Why hadn't they changed? Well, you've got to ask yourself the same question. I mean, I have to ask myself that all the time. I had to ask myself that yesterday. I did something yesterday that that kind of thing I used to do when I was not saved. Don't ask me what it was. It wasn't that bad. Y'all looking at me like, what did you do? Just lose my temper a little bit. Wanting to kill somebody. You know? And, and I say to myself, why? After 30 years of being a Christian, am I still like the sons of Jacob? 
that I would go ready to get my knife and go out and defend my honor. You know, why would I do that? I'll tell you why. Listen to me very carefully. You need to know this. When you get born again, you get a new spirit. But your flesh, your carnal ways, your old nature is not redeemed. It's not going to be redeemed anytime in this life. It's not going to be redeemed until you get a glorified body. And these people that tell you otherwise, they're liars. I mean, they can say, well, yeah, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't fool around, so I've been, you know, my flesh has been redeemed. That's not, well, do you get mad in traffic? Do you get angry at your brother? Do you look at a woman with lust? I mean, our flesh is not redeemed. Your flesh is capable, if you've been to say 50 years, your flesh is capable of doing the same thing it was doing 50 years ago when you got saved. Now, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, but you've got to be walking in the Spirit, and Jacob and his sons obviously weren't walking in the Spirit, and so they were living by their flesh. And that's what happens to a lot of believers. We live by our flesh. And, and here's Jacob. Jacob doesn't even believe the promises of God. I mean, if he believed the promise, what did God promise him? From you, there's going to come this great nation, and from this nation, it's going to come the seed that's going to bless all the nations of the world. In other words, you can't, you guys can't pass off the scene. You, 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 this nation can't be assimilated into another culture. You all can't be killed and wiped out by, the, by this army of Canaanites that maybe was being gathered at this point. I mean, you, you, it can't happen to you because you've got to go on surviving so that there could be a nation of Israel that will bring forth the Messiah at some point. And, and, and I mean, Jacob is really, a, really a, he's a pitiful man at this point, a pitiful patriarch with a pitiful clan. And, 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 and it shows us he's done almost nothing, if anything, to, to pass his faith down to his sons. He hadn't done anything. But there's still, as we finish chapter 34, there's still a separate nation. Why? Because the Lord did not allow them to be assimilated into the culture of Shechem. But here's Jacob at this point. And I, and I, and I can relate. I, I, can see, I know other parents that can I, I can't relate to this, but I, I've seen parents who can relate to this, where, where you've done everything you can to, to raise your kids up be good kids, and then all of a sudden they just, you know, they, they, they're just a big mess. And really that's a reflection on you, and you say to yourself, I'm a big mess too. My kids aren't what they should be. Where did I go wrong? And, I, and at this point, Jacob really is a pitiful sight. And, and, and he has nowhere to turn. I mean, he, he really, from a secular standpoint, he is facing death. They are going to gather up an army. They are going to get revenge for this massacre. They're going to slaughter Israel. And he's right back where he was when he was sitting there at the brook Japheth waiting on Esau to come with his 400 warriors. He's right back there all over again. And he's a pitiful man. But he does what he needs to do. I have no doubt. Here's what he did. He, remember, he built that altar at Shechem, El Elohi Israel. God is the God of Israel. And he says to himself, God, you're my God. And he goes back to the Lord. 
and he prays to the Lord, and he confesses to the Lord, Lord, I've been acting like Jacob. I haven't been acting like Israel. My family is one big mess. And there's nothing I can do to fix it. Only you can fix it. And so he's going to pray to the Lord. And next week when we get to chapter 35, the Lord's going to answer the, what I call a backslider's prayer. He's going to answer that prayer in a, in a wonderful way, and that's what we'll look at uh, when we come back to, to uh, Genesis chapter 35. Bobby Jindal was said this when he was governor of Louisiana about the Muslim immigrants that were coming into the United States of America. And I'm not here to put down Muslims or anything. That's not what I'm, what I'm doing. But he, he had this to say. He said, he said, immigrants who come to this country and refuse to assimilate into our country haven't come to be Americans. They've come to conquer America. And I think he was right on spot with that quote. That's exactly what they do. But that's not my point here. That actually is what should be true of Christians who come to know Christ. We don't become Christians. God doesn't give us the new birth. He doesn't give us his spirit so that we can become Americans or better Americans. He gives us his spirit so that we can conquer a portion of America for Jesus Christ. See, but our problem as a church is, and, and, and I'm talking about the church universal in the United States of America, all the church, our problem is, is that instead of conquering the evil things of this world, we've been assimilated into this world. And, 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 and that has happened because we have not separated ourselves from this world. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, come out from among them and be separate. Holy, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Now, does that mean we don't have any contact with unbelievers, with the, with the unrighteous of this world? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Because back in chapter 5, Paul said this. Paul said, look, you know, I didn't say to you not to hang out at all with extortioners or drunkards or liars or cheaters or, or uh, drug users or any of those kind of or thieves or any of those things because if, for you to do that, I would have, you would have to be taken out of the world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. What God has called us to do is to be in the world and have contact with those people, but not be assimilated by those people into the culture. Here's what somebody told me a very wise thing when I first got saved, and it was this. He says, throw them the rope, but don't go down and live in the pit with them. And he's exactly right. We're here to throw out the rope, but we're not, we're not to go down in the pit and be assimilated into that pit. That's not where we're supposed to go. And when we truly do separate ourselves from this world, listen to what Paul says in the next verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, the Lord says this, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughter, daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's what God wants to do in our lives. 
He wants us to live like sons and daughters. Now, when you get saved, you're a son and daughter of God, but you don't really experience that when you're assimilating yourself into this world. You only experience that when you separate yourself from this world. Now, here's one other thing, and I, I know I'm running a little bit late, but you've got to get this part down too. Here's what Jacob had done when he had moved to Shechem. He didn't move into downtown Shechem like Lot moved into, into, into Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't do that. He lived on the outskirts of Shechem. So, he, in essence, physically, he had separated himself from the Shechemites. Now, here was his problem. When you separate yourself from something, you've got to separate yourself to something. And that was Jacob's problem. He never separated himself unto the Lord. He never lived in that relationship with the Lord like he should have, or this never would have happened. And, he, and if he was living in a relationship with the Lord like he should have been, his sons wouldn't have done what they did. They would have grown up more than likely loving the Lord. So we've got to separate ourselves from this world and separate ourselves unto the Lord if we really want to impact this culture in a positive way. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and the detailed instruction you give us uh, just in every chapter of this book, Lord, and how blessed we are that, that you love us so much that, that you would speak your word through these men of God, Lord, and, and uh, that we can be here today studying this and applying this to our lives. Lord, I just ask that everybody here, takes an inventory of where they're at in, in their walk with you, Lord, uh, that e even if we've separated ourselves from certain things of this world, Lord, help us to, to, to separate ourselves unto you. Help us to live closer to you. And, Lord, when we're living close to you, it's impossible for us to be assimilated into this world. Lord, we just thank you that you've paved the way for us to have a victorious Christian life even now. And I just ask that you uh, open the door for all of us to, to be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. I just ask that in his precious name I pray. Amen. This is love This is love
ago, the Lord didn't die for us so that we could be assimilated into America. As Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Lord died for us so that we could be a royal priesthood, a holy people, his own possession. That's why he died for us. That's why his body was broken, and that's why his bloody blood was shed and Lord we thank you and as Paul as Peter says uh, in first uh, Corinthians chapter 11 he says for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus Christ on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 